there. Welcome back to Season 1, Episode 48 of the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for your life and mission. And I am Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Daniel M. Daniel, um, I first got to hear of him, know of him, um, listening on another podcast, 5LQ, and um, just uh, heard about his book that he wrote, um, You Are What You Do, and Six Other Lies About work, life, and love. And uh, read the book. It was fascinating to me. And he br- brings out some very, very strong points and um, just some great insight. And so uh, I reached out and see if he'd be on the podcast. He he agreed. And so um, he shares um, just a little bit about a story about him and his wife um, leaving Canada to go to uh, South Korea to be a youth pastor and leadership pastor at a church of 50,000 and how that didn't end up exactly the way um, that he thought it would. And then half to come home and um, facing his family, his, his doubters, and his term was being feeling like he had been punched in the gut, and how that's still been a process of how he's walked through that, he's learning from that, and God, how God is bringing restoration. Another one of the interesting lies um, that he talks about in the gig economy is that's the basis of the book, The Gig Economy. He shares that um, the, the lie that we are what we raise, and somehow that our children are not our creation, but they're divine creation of God. And uh, man, a powerful point. And um, we, we talk, he discusses that and how we take a lot of responsibility and our culture pushes us to um, be kid focused so, and that our kid's success is somehow our success and uh, that where that can lead and where that um, ends up. And um, so it's just a very, very powerful um, podcast. I appreciated him. He's a phenomenal communicator, great insight, and just a, a great, um, it was a great interview and uh, just sp- enjoyed spending time with Daniel um, today. Do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, agwmafrica.org from Increasingly Redeemed and Transformed Africa. 50 countries, 257 training centers, 404 missionaries, 79,106 indigenous churches. Discover what you can do and how you can be engaged at agwmafrica.org. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. Greetings and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to be here today um, with a new friend, uh, Daniel M. And um, I first got to heard his voice on a, a podcast, um, 5LQ, Five Leadership Questions, which I learned a lot um, from him on, on that. And then read his book that has been a really a challenge and a, um, a blessing to me. Um, his book is entitled, You Are What You Do and Six Other Lies About Work, Life, and Love. Daniel, will you go ahead and introduce yourself to the audience today for those who maybe not have heard you on the podcast or have not read your book yet. Yeah, it's great to be with you, Aaron. Um, So yeah, I've been married 14 years this year, have three children, uh, almost 11-year-old and a nine-year-old. So those two are girls, and then my son is six years old. Uh, So we've moved around, uh, and we'll probably get into it in the podcast here and there, but recently uh, had lived the last five years in Nashville uh, mm-hmm. and was working for Lifeway and resourcing churches and church planting and multi-set of multiplication, but but still felt called, even when I went there, still felt so deeply called to the local church. So uh, I came back to Canada last year 
uh, back to full-time pastoring. So yeah, born and raised in Vancouver, Canada, and I know this is audio, so yeah. uh, it's hard to tell whether I have an accent or not. So <laughs> if there's any accent, it's maybe Canadian with a little bit of Southern y'all <laughs> thrown in there, but I'm actually Korean. So Korean, Canadian, my children, uh, my wife is Chinese Canadian. Um, my children, we, we, we call our children Chorean Canadians. <laughs> Uh, as of last year, living in America, but actually now they don't need to, so they don't need to remember the the Pledge of Allegiance anymore. <laughs> wow, that is amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. So good deal. Where did you meet your wife at? Yeah, so we were, uh, so I was in Vancouver going to university. My wife was in Ottawa going to university and we met with campus, through Campus Crusade for Christ. Wow. So we were both on campus um, at our respective universities and it was a summer mission trip to China. So it was mm. on the mission field where wow. it was about it was six weeks long. So not long term, but six weeks long where we met each other. And I mean, that's a whole story in and yeah. of itself. So we actually do a podcast together on marriage and parenting it, called The it, In-Between. There you go. So, we'll link that. I'll link that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. That's uh, yeah. So that's fun. Fun doing ministry together with her in that way. I'm sure. Could you just, before we jump into the, some of the questions, I picked some of the questions that really stood out to me and really spoke to me um, from your book, but could you just share a little bit about the, the history of what led you, led you to write this book and um, kind of the why behind it? Yeah. So uh, for the majority of your audience as missionaries, I mean, I mean, missionaries understand uh, the importance of bivocational or co-vocational or yeah. this notion of business as mission. And, yeah. and I find that missionary, I mean, I, my, my master's um, was through Fuller and I did it through the school of intercultural studies. So I have a master's of, uh, of arts and global leadership. So um, I know it sounds fancy, yeah. <laughs> right? It's kind of like thinking in their brain <laughs> will take over the world, but really it's a, it was a degree in missiology and leadership. Okay, uh, is what it was. So it was really this notion of, and that's why I love Leslie Newbegin, uh, because honestly, I feel my heart and my call is missions in Canada. And even mm. when we came back to Edmonton, uh, as Christina and I were discerning, we really sensed the Lord saying, no, Edmonton is a missions field. Wow. I am calling you as a missionary here. So that, I just wanted to put that out there. Yeah, for sure. I might talk about, I'm going to talk about this thing called the gig economy, yeah. but I, I just wanted to preface that with the fact that, yeah, the term might be new, but the idea of it has been around for so long. Hmm. Now, here's the thing. I was speaking to a group of pastors in Atlanta a few years ago, and really it was on the implications of the gig economy. And the gig economy, just super quickly defined, is an individual who is getting paid, who is getting paid for their time skills, possessions, or expertise, right? Mm. But they're self-employed, right? Okay. So you're self-employed and getting paid for your time, skills, possessions, or expertise. So if you are cutting someone's hair, right, and they are paying you directly because you're kind of your own business owner, as, as many uh, individuals who cut their hair cut exactly. hair are, I mean, they are a part of the gig economy. If, you, uh, if your child babysits for someone else, right? In a, in a sense, they're self-employed and they are a part of the gig economy. Or if you drive for Uber or have someone deliver you food. And so, so that's the whole notion. So here's the thing that fascinated me. In the US and Canada and Australia and the UK, and it's not just those countries, but those are the ones I found research uh, in. Yeah. It's about 30 to 40% of the workforce is a part of this. Hmm. Right? So just think about that. Okay. Think about if 
30, so just think about where you are living right now. If 30 to 40% of anyone or any people group or any, I mean, that's a huge number. Yeah. If they are all a part of this one thing and it's dictating how they get money. And man, Jesus talks about money a lot. There's a lot, <laughs> right? So much. And it's not that it's money. That's the root of all evil. It's a love of money. So yeah. if 30 to 40% of a people group are receiving their finances and living uh, and, and their well-being based off of this thing called the gig economy, don't you think that there are broader implications than just yeah. how you receive money and how the yeah. transaction happens? Yeah, so that's, true. that's honestly what triggered the, the research and getting into the book. And I was like, man, okay, if, if 30 to 40% are a part of the gig economy, then honestly, I don't know anyone who hasn't funded the gig economy, hmm. <laughs> right. And hasn't benefited from someone of that sort. So having said all that, I was like, what, what is this doing to me? What is this doing to pastors, to missionaries, to our culture at a whole? And here's where it is. I mean, in the book, I talk about seven ways that seven, seven of the lies that this gig economy is, um, is, is, is talking about. And we can go into it if you would like, but here's the core thing. Here's the core lie that holds all of this together. And this is honestly why I believe it's grown so fast hmm. underneath the surface. It's because the gig economy, Aaron, the gig economy promises a life of freedom and flexibility hmm. it says you want more freedom in life well just stop you know hanging out or stop with your leisure time or stop binge watching netflix or stop whatever right whatever yeah. it is that you do with your free stop doing that and just go do something more productive hmm. right or right and so so i know that's the money side but even from the ministry side it's it's there's that whole sense of hey, are you actually sacrificing your family on the altar of ministry, hmm. right? And it's like, man, the ministry needs never end. The, in, the, the number of individuals who need to hear the gospel is endless, right? <laughs> it seems limitless, impossible at times. So it's like, well, I'll just put one more hour in or I'll just yeah. put two more hours. But, but how is that actually shaping your identity and shaping who you are, and 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 it's a sense of freedom and flexibility. So, so the reason I think this is so toxic because it's actually, and why it's actually an ancient lie, is because it actually goes back to the Garden of Eden, hmm. right? The original lie yeah. <laughs> from the serpent himself. He was promising Adam and Eve a life of freedom and hmm. flexibility. That's great. And I wonder if that's actually why the gig economy has progressed so rapidly. So rapidly, because number one, it's touching on the idol of finances and money, but also yeah. the, uh, the, the, the sense of freedom and flexibility. Wow. Man, that's and the connection. I never drew the connection until until you just men mentioned it there, and um, it does make a, a ton of sense. And honestly, as you you as I read the book and thought about it, I've seen my life change in the last twenty years. In the sense that, as you said about the productivity and time, it's almost time that you would take as rest or relaxation or, or Sabbath or whatever you feel like you should be accomplishing something and gaining. And, uh, and you identified that as a gig economy. I never, um, never, never knew that. And, but it makes a ton of sense. It makes a ton of yeah. sense. You share in the book. Um, one of the great things I loved about, I love about your writing is, is you're authentic and, um, you're transparent. And, uh, 
And for a guy like me, when I read a book and somebody just tells me all their wins and how Aaron is not a success. And if I could just be like this person, you know, my life would be great, <laughs> you know, but I think the reality of it is, as you write, it, it was challenging and um, yeah. the lesson and wisdom that you have gained throughout your life. You share a story and a part of your life about going um, to Korea. And then mm -hmm. you, you talk about coming home. And I think you, you said you had to face your family. You had to face doubters. And that you, I think that you actually said the feelings of being punched in the gut. And I yeah. think that resonated with me. And I think a lot of our listeners, because, you know, we're, that's something we're faced with. If we come home, we feel like we failed or mm -hmm. maybe our family, maybe we failed our community, failed our church. And then the biggest is feeling like we failed God. Can you yeah. just share some of your wisdom? Because that really spoke to me. Um, as I read read through that chapter, yeah, that was that was really difficult. It was really difficult to write, hmm. uh, and I it's actually really the first time I shared the story uh, in a few places in the book, and hmm. really had to process it from that perspective. Over the last, we came back from Korea. We served there for just under two years, and. Uh, honestly thought we were going to serve there for a lifetime <laughs> mm. uh, and and it's been about 10 years since we came back and it's interesting because God just continues to heal I mean even just last year there was another aspect post book right the wow. book was already submitted where there's another loop around where God was doing a healing work in our right. hearts and, and souls in and around that but yeah that was we I was living in we were living in Montreal at the time just got married um, had been the ministry was growing just since the favor of God and in, in that in that way and and then I got a call to to go to Korea and what was fascinating is uh, I was young in ministry young in age young in marriage didn't have kids had a lot of ambition and then I got a call to go be a youth pastor slash leadership pastor at a church of 50,000 people in Korea, <laughs> wow. right? Like this is, so Seoul, South Korea, I mean, it's like the hub of mega churches, giga, giga churches, but yeah. legit like 50,000 <laughs> people. And I was like, I would be stupid, right? So honestly, honestly, and that's why I love the work of Eugene Peterson, especially mm. his book, his memoir, a yeah. lot of his stuff, but especially his memoir, because um, honestly, I misunderstood that bigger, right? I thought bigger meant God's blessing. So honestly, I was like, wow, God, God has seen my faithfulness over these last few years and over a lifetime. And God is blessing me with a bigger ministry, hmm. with a bigger impact, with a bigger opportunity, right? Yeah. I just kept on associating that and it was underneath the surface. And, and I mean, that's, it is toxic, absolutely yeah. toxic to think that way to think that way, but yet our Western, at least on the Western side of things, um, the Western worldview is is the consumeristic worldview. I mean, it is so embedded yeah. and having grown up in, in Canada, I mean, that's just, it's a part of who I am. So uh, just a part of the water, right? So honestly, I was like, yeah, I, I, I quote unquote prayed about it. I yeah. quote unquote fasted about it, but it really was a, a done deal. It was like, yeah. obviously we're gonna go. And here's the, here's the crazy thing. Yeah, my motives might've been wrong. My motives might have not been 100% pure. And I didn't recognize that until way back, way after we came back and I had to continue to process what had happened. But when we were there, oh my goodness, I have never seen God move so powerfully 
than when I was in Korea. And Korea is, and, and this is what really amazed me. When I, uh, we were in Korea, I did missions in Thailand, took a team of students there. And, and here's what one pastor said. He was like, we love Korea and we look up to Korea a lot because a hundred years ago, Thailand and South Korea were in the same place, economically, spiritually, everything. And look at where South Korea is a hundred years later. Yeah. Right. First world country, you know, part of the majority world in that sense yet, because it's so new, yeah. the shamanistic and there's still so much spiritual, um, you know, ancestral worship. There's so much of that that is still a part of the culture. And that has actually there's syncretism between <laughs> that and Christianity not only that, but also the Confucianistic side of things. Uh, and there's so much of that that's mixed in. So, so the fascinating thing is it is like a, it is like you're in New York city, uh -huh. but with the spiritual sensitivity and culture of a mission field. Wow. Right. Of a, of a, so, so that, that was, was really interesting. And then we saw, I mean, we saw things I, like that I'd only read about in the book of Acts. Hmm. Hmm. right in our ministry and in that that i didn't think we would actually see in soul right yeah. in soul right? right so the thing is god was showing us expanding our faith growing our faith we were i was continuing to do seminary it was just everything was up into the right in the sense of our faith our development christina and i we had victoria our baby our firstborn and everything was amazing and then all of it came to a close, right? All it came mm -hmm. to a complete, where, where honestly, we had actually, we, we moved there, went into a fully furnished apartment because we didn't know where was what. And yeah. we sent, God was like, no, you're here long-term. We really did sense that. So we, 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 we went to a, 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 an apartment, right? That we could have a bedroom for our daughter. And then we bought everything. Like we bought furniture and even a stove, right? Yeah. People in Korea don't have ovens, no ovens. Uh, people in Korea don't have ovens yet. Christina, you know, I mean, she wanted to bake. So, I mean, we bought all this stuff because we were like, yeah, this is home. And we were getting settled in and getting, and then all of a sudden everything was ripped out from under our feet and we had to move back to Canada, homeless, right? Uh, like no money, everything was good. And then it was just, it was, it was honestly, feeling like you said that that I was punched in my gut because there were so many people who had doubted as to whether or not we should go hmm. and there are people who are like oh yeah well you shouldn't have left that because that you know why did you leave and and there's so much of that that was going around in our head and it was the shame right yeah. I felt so much shame in coming back because it was like why would I leave and on top of that, it was church politic wise. It was a lot of church politics and, and relationships that were broken down where I left. I didn't want to hurt the ministry. I didn't right. want to hurt the pastor. I didn't want to jeopardize any of that. So I actually didn't say anything as to why. It was just almost like, no, we feel like God's calling us back, which in hindsight, I, 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 there's actually, in hindsight, there's actually some generational stuff that I actually allowed Hmm. to be perpetuated by hmm. my silence, hmm. which I, I, in, and, and, you know, we, hindsight's 2020, right? Right. But yeah, so that, that's the, that's the piece where it's still processing, right? Because I felt like in that moment, not saying anything was honoring God and honoring the church. Yeah. Um, but I wonder if I could have actually prevented um, others from going through the same pain that I did. Cause what happened to us, happened to a few other people after us. Wow. 
right? Because it was that generational, there's, yeah. there's some sort of spiritual bondage yeah. um, that was happening there yeah. that I wonder if we could help stop that. Uh, but yeah, so that, that's the piece where it's still, that was the last year piece yeah. where I, where God's just continuing to bring about healing and, and, and lessons from that. So. And, and I, yeah, you, so what I'm hearing you say is that wasn't like you got home, you worked through it in a month or two, and then you just, you just continue. <laughs> so it's, oh my for, goodness, no. So, so. For, for our listeners who are listening and maybe they're in the exact place that you just mentioned, they've just got back to the United States and, um, what I'm hearing you say is it, it's a process and you're continuing yeah. to process it. Well, so here's the thing, right? So, um, in, in the book, the title of the book is you are what you do. And, yeah. and I, I appreciate Aaron, how you did the pregnant pause and <laughs> six other lies about work, life and love, because yeah. there are some people who are like, is Daniel gone off the deep end? Like what's wrong with this theology? Like, <laughs> you are not what you do. That is not who Jesus said you are. And you're right. You're not what you do, but it's just kind of a catchy way to get people's attention. Right. But yeah. that lie, you are what you do is the first lie of the book. And that's a lie that I have so deeply believed. So hmm. for me, think about it, right? For me, I'm a young guy, pastor, I'm questioning my call to ministry, questioning whether or not I heard God in the first place, questioning whether or not I can even discern God's leading hmm. in, in everything getting pulled out from under our feet and being back in Canada, right? Every, literally, we landed on April 1st and everyone's like, is this an April Fool's joke? Wow. Like, what are you doing back in Canada? Hmm. And I didn't know if I could say or not, Yeah. right? So, so the thing is, right, coming back, me so believing that lie that I am what I do, being married, having like a five-month-old daughter, having to move into graciously, having to go into my parents' place, all three of us in one bedroom, yeah. trying to figure out, I mean, and, and our save, like us literally, because we spent so much money furnishing our place because we were there long-term and then, yeah. you know, losing all of that, really only getting a third or a half of what we paid for right. and then not having the money to go back. And, you know, praise God that another church in the city uh, actually took up a love offering for us. Hmm. I was friends with that pastor and, and that, that love offering was enough to, to help us um, really, uh, it was it was about half of the cost of a plane ticket, or actually no, it was a full cost of, the, of all our plane tickets because it was only one way back, yeah. and it was just such a blessing. Right, so we saw God's hand of providence and leading, and then through His fingerprints through it all. So I was like, okay, I know God has not left us. I know God is in this somehow because I I was seeing His fingerprints. Yet coming back, no money, no income, being in my parents' place what do I even say to people, right? Because I based my identity on what I did. I'm not yeah. a pastor anymore. I'm even questioning whether or not I should be called a pastor because mm -hmm. of everything that had happened. And it wasn't, it wasn't moral failure or anything on yeah. my part. It was really just a misunderstanding and the enemy just blowing things up in that way. And then I'm there. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not thinking of this as a sabbatical. Yeah. <laughs> right i'm not thinking of this as furlough or yeah. as like i'll just do this and go back and you know do some donor relations or whatever that, right. like that's not what i am thinking about i am literally thinking okay get my resume done i need to start handing it out so hmm. i went on a blitz of applying to every single church that had an opening anywhere that i could find 
And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is gonna be so easy. Right. Cause I mean, I, I was, I was a pastor of a church of, in a, I was a pastor in a church of 50,000 people. Like who wouldn't want to hire me? And I was like, okay, I'll send my, church, my, my resume to this church of a hundred people. Cause you right. know, I mean, you know, it's, it's going to be okay. And you know, also no one, absolutely no one calls me back. Hmm. No one, no one even responds to my emails or anything like that. Hmm. I then start putting my resume out to Subway. I, I mean, I worked at Subway. Like I have experience. I'm a sandwich artiste, right? I mean, we did 250 <laughs> sandwiches in an hour in Montreal, like literally when I was in university, but Subway, Starbucks, Costco, everywhere I am applying to literally every single place I apply to, no one is calling me back. Wow. And I'm like, God, what are you doing? And I'm hmm. angry at God, right? Hmm. I'm angry because I'm like, God, I thought, yeah, I, God, I gave you my life, yeah. <laughs> right? right? <laughs> like I, not only have I submitted my life to you, but my, my, my life, my, I, I was studying to be a doctor, yeah. right? And then I gave it all up when I, since to call the ministry and switched to religious studies and like literally I gave it all up and I was like, God, and it was silence, hmm. absolute silence. And then I got a call from my friend. Uh, who his dad is a pastor of his, his dad was a, the pastor of his church in Calgary. And he was like, Hey, can you come and preach at our young adults retreat? And I'm like, yes. In preparing for that. And he was like, what do you want to preach on? Like, I was like, what do you want me to preach on? He's like, whatever. So as I was praying about that, I sensed uh, a leading to preach on the life of David. Hmm. And I, and I started studying the life of David and I downloaded uh, the course that Eugene Peterson taught at Regent college yeah. on the life of David. And I started studying that. And honestly, as I was studying that, God just met me in the desert. And he hmm. was like, Daniel, number one, you are trying to put on Saul's armor hmm. in these ways. And then number two, David was shaped. The biggest difference between David and Saul is fascinating, is that David, before becoming king and also after becoming king, he had an extended period of time in the desert. We have no recorded uh, evidence of Saul having gone through that. Mm. And we see how when David was in the desert, being chased by Saul, having, after having been anointed by, as king, yeah. right? And then being chased by Saul, and later on in life, being chased by his son Absalom, all of that, that is the place in the desert, in the silence, in the doubting, in all of the confusion of God, did, was that anointing from you? Was that Samuel? Was all of the confusion and the, and the silence of the desert, right? Even before all his men found him, right? Yeah. All this and, and all the guys, and he, and he had that community. Even before all that, he was by himself trying to figure out what to do, right? Jonathan was like, David, you got to go. You got to go, you know, shoot the arrow. You got to go. Cause I don't, and like leaving his best friend, right? Literally leaving everything. Yeah. And in the silence, Right. And, you know, I know we think, you know, just take a plane and you're there immediately. But in the silence, in the walking, in the waiting, yeah. that is the that was the crucible in which God shaped his character hmm. and God shaped his prayer life. And, yeah, David still messed up. Hmm. But that is the place where that I mean, that was such a distinguishing factor, differentiating factor, factor between him and Saul. Yeah. And that in studying that, I was like, oh, my goodness, this is what God is doing to me. Hmm. This is my desert moment. And hmm. honestly, when I recognized that and even further surrendered and repented from my pride and all of that, a lot of pride and a lot of ambition, honestly, 
that's when God opened up the door for me to go to Beulah wow. uh, in the first place in Edmonton. And, 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 and is yeah, it was just it, the timing, right? It was literally God shut everything out <laughs> until he was like, Daniel, you've got to learn this lesson. You got, and it was not just yeah. a, you know, cursory, it was not just a cursory. Oh yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. I know. Dan, yeah, I know God shapes us in the desert. Okay. Right. No, it was a deep inner wrestling and work. And then at the retreat, you know what happened? I lost my voice. <laughs> I lost my voice. So, and I was leading worship and preaching and I lost my voice. Wow. Yet even in that, as I was struggling through preaching in, and all that, it was like, God was saying, Hey, is my grace sufficient for you? Hmm. is hmm. my strength you know are you are you relying more on your strength and your yeah. ability and your competency and your experience or mine hmm. and and that's that's the piece honestly where i it was just to my knees and and then god from that point just just fully switched my direction and and my heart yeah so that that, that was the piece where it was the most painful thing i've ever experienced but i wouldn't trade it for the world yeah that's good that's Amazing insight, amazing wisdom, and um, I appreciate your authenticity and your willingness to share because I really believe we um, it speaks to, it speaks and it, it spoke loudly to me and um, yeah it, it's super valuable. One of the other um, one of the other uh, lies um, you talk about that I thought it was the first time I'd ever really seen somebody take a, a chapter and write on it um, was the idea of raising the fraud that your child's success is your success in your child's failure is your failure. Um, you know, I've heard people talk about it, but I've never heard somebody take a chapter and unpack that and, and part of being part of this gig economy. Could you go just a little bit deeper in that? Cause I think I heard James Dobson say, you know, if your kids turn out good, you take too much of the credit. If they turn out not the way you wanted to, you take too much of the blame and the differences, the reality is probably somewhere in the middle, but you, 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 provided a lot of wisdom. Can you just share um, um, some more and go a little bit deeper on that? So this lie that you are who you raise is, I think it's so, it's, it's such a complex lie because culturally it's actually looked favorably upon, right? Culturally, you would actually look down upon someone who neglects their child, hmm. uh, who doesn't care about their child, and who actually wants a worse life for their child than themselves. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's, you that's, just that's look, <laughs> you're like that, like, how are you even a parent? Yeah. Right. Like yeah, you want to use your child for your gain. And yeah. you know, that that's just, it's just horrible, horrible. So we actually praise and celebrate parents who are involved in the life of their children. And yeah, yeah. we should be involved in the right. life of our children. Right. We celebrate that. The problem is when it tips the scale and you so want you where, where parents begin actually living vicariously through their children. Hmm. Right. And we see hints of that through sports mm -hmm. and, and, you know, we see hints of that through even, even it was so funny, even just last week, my kids were, one of my, one of my kids. Okay. Not even one of my kids, two out of three of my children <laughs> will occasionally as they fight, just scream at the top of their lungs. Like, like someone is trying to murder them, scream <laughs> and shrill scream. And I am like, Christina and I are like, what are, like, you can't do that. Like, you got to use your words because literally someone is going to think you're in trouble. Yeah. Right. And, and, and I don't want that. Right. But here's the thing. 
why do Christina and I care so much about that? Is mm. it because we want to raise children who are respectful, you know, respectful and, and know yeah. how to control their voice? And yeah, yeah, that's, that's half of it. But really underneath the surface, <laughs> I'm like, oh my goodness, what are my neighbors going to think? <laughs> or, oh my goodness, I'm at the grocery store and my child is screaming at the top of his lungs and yeah. all these people are looking at me and it's shame. Right? It's, it's mm. actually, a, it's a matter of shame. And it's shame that I am feeling from, the, and I'm like, no, 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 be quiet. And I'm like, you know, I bribe them to stay quiet in a public place that I never do otherwise. Yeah. So, so why is that, right? Why is that? Well, it's because my children's success, unfortunately, I actually will interpret as being my success and their failure, mm. I'll interpret as being my failure. Mm. But, but here's the truth behind it all. That is not true because actually we are not owners of our children. We are stewards of our children. Mm, that's good. Right? They are not ours. Mm. I know we're guardians of them. We need right. to take care of them. But they are these individuals, these little ones are actually not ours, regardless of their age, whether they're five months old or they're 50 years old. Wow. Right? They are, and, and that's that's a huge thing that I really believe. Just like I, I said about Korea in a circular fashion where God just continues to loop it around. And he's like, hey, hey, your child, have you fully surrendered? Right? Yeah. Kind of like Abraham did with Isaac. Have you yeah. fully surrendered your child? Because you're actually a steward of them. Hmm. Right? You're a steward. And your responsibility is to actually point them to Jesus and shepherd them to know, love, and serve Jesus Christ. And to, right? And there's this sense of, there's actually a sense of freedom that comes hmm. when we recognize Right when we recognize that uh, I am not who I raise, but actually, yeah. I, I'm actually God's masterpiece, and my child is God's masterpiece, and I need to help them recognize that wow. uh, rather than them feeling good or bad based on how they measure up, uh, you know, compared to me or or, yeah. or whatnot. Yeah. And so, is there practical things that you would you see that in your life? Are there some things that maybe say, Hey, you feel that you're going down that track? Like you just, the great thing about, you know, their kids screaming, is it for <laughs> your kid or is it for what people are going to think? And I would think being in ministry, yeah. sometimes oh, I feel yeah. like ministry families, it's even more magnified because you're yeah. trying to portray this sense that, you know, everything's in control and da, 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 when it's not. So what yeah. does that and, look like? For and, you? and your kids subconsciously and unconsciously, they actually, I mean, I don't know about you, but my kids, oh, they act, they behave way better in front of other people oh, when other man. people are around, right? And I didn't tell them to, right? But other people are around, I'm like, how are you so kind? <laughs> and I love my kids. My kids are kind. They are. But it's it's different. And I'm like, see that? And that's, 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 it's, it's one of these seven lies, yeah. right? Yeah. Right? That there, there, there's a sense of pleasing there's a sense of showing up there's a sense where where i'm sorry i cut you off but but really there is that sense where man especially ministry kids too because they are in the spotlight yeah yeah right? and maybe it was a look we gave them right where yeah. it was like be quiet or this or that that they're yeah so that's you're right yeah. in, in in highlighting those kids yep. no and so do you is there certain things that you and christina do to not protect your kids or you know do you there's things that you see that Maybe some practical advice, you know, mm. um, on what things that you found that work and don't work and not, do you feel yourself leaning towards my, that? Cause it is a lot. And I, yeah, I'll be yeah. honest with you, Daniel, some days I'm really good at all seven of the things that you write about in your book. 
some days, but my drift is toward that lie. My drift yeah, yeah. doesn't seem to like, if I'm not focused, it's, I drift that towards the lie, not towards the truth. And, um, mm -hmm. and so there's certain things, maybe I'm being too transparent, but that's just, that's Aaron. And, um, yeah. anyway, I don't know with your kids, is there things that you've learned and you and Christine have learned that, that help you in this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's obviously the behind the scenes side mm -hmm. of helping your children process, uh, process that and come to terms with their identity in Christ. Yeah. Right. So that's the behind the scenes parenting side. That's, yeah. that's super important. But I think from a ministry perspective on the public side of things, we have to be authentic. Yeah. Right. I mean, I know there are some cultures that expect pastors and missionaries to be higher than, you know, they're, you know, they're to, to be more holy or, right. or even, you know, I, I, uh, it was so interesting one of one we reopened this past weekend as a church, you know, at the time of this recording and, and one of our congregants, uh, she's Asian and, and it's often Asians that will, uh, that will say this to me. And I just kind of off the cuff said, man, I love the fact that we are worshiping together because since COVID, I don't think I've had an uninterrupted time of worship, <laughs> extended period of uninterrupted time of worship than, you know, than then. And right. it was so fast because, because she was like, wait, really? So you're the pastor. <laughs> Right. And it was like, it's, it's almost like there's this sense of, man, my life has to be perfect. Hmm. My life has to be, you know, my children have to be perfect. I need to be, you know, always praying and always reading the Bible and always, you know, there's this expectation that some people have hmm. on you, depending on where you're ministering, right. Yeah. And whom, whom you're ministering to. So I think it's our responsibility to actually show them our imperfection. Wow. Because that'll actually cause them to relate better to you because they're no one's perfect, right? Yeah. Everyone is messing up the way that you're messing up, right? Everyone, absolutely everyone. Some right. people are just better at hiding it than others, <laughs> right? So the worst thing that we can do is actually perpetuate this notion of, you know, this difference between priesthood and laity and yeah. this, this, this elevated stance. That, that's probably the worst thing that we can do when we think about Matthew 9, 35 to 38, where the harvest is plentiful and the workers are few, because yeah. when we perpetuate that, that the, at the, at the, at the foot of the cross, the level is not even when yeah. we, like when we perpetuate that, that actually prevents people from seeing all of their life as mission wow. and, and as being on mission. It, wow. it prevents that. And it prevents people from considering that they themselves too can be a, pastor or be a missionary or regardless of title be full on living on mission right mm. that, that that's actually what it prevents it from happening when we try to perpetuate this perfection yeah so i think from a public standpoint we need to be authentic yeah right we need to be authentic with not only lessons that we've learned yeah right but also things that we are learning right now that's true right we need to do both yeah. And that's the public side, but from the private side of things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's a grind, right? It's a yeah. grind. And it really is that notion of, okay, how do I help my children not bow down to pleasing man, yeah. but actually live for the, you know, live, live for God instead. That's awesome.
Daniel, I've, I've taken more time than I asked and I apologize for that. Um, but I've, it, I've enjoyed learning from you. Um, we'll put the link for your book in the, in the show notes and um, also the link for the podcast you and Christina do together. Um, would you mind praying for the audience? We normally end the, the podcast in prayer and you can pray whatever direction you would like, but pray that, that God will use what you shared, not just as head knowledge, not things that we just mm-hmm. learned today, but actually that we can begin to put this in action. And when we begin to drift, um, we can remember, um, you know, who we really are in Christ and not fall into these, these seven, seven lies. Okay. Okay. Perfect. So what I'll do is I'll actually pray, um, the, uh, you know, I'll, I'll say the truth of the seven lies in the yeah, prayer. That's awesome. Right. Okay. So God, we just pray right now for everyone listening. Uh, you say, uh, it says in Ephesians six to put on the helmet of salvation and that helmet of salvation is regarding our identity. So I pray, Lord, that you would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus, and that you would help us know who we are in Christ. Hmm. That we would be able to stand up firmly, footed with the armor of God on, all of it, but particularly with this helmet of salvation, that we would recognize that we are not what we do, but hmm. that we are children of God. Lord, I, I pray that you would help all of us recognize that we are not what we experience, but we are new creations in Christ. Lord, may we deeply, I God, I pray that you would deeply embed in our souls that we are not who we know and that we would not name drop in that way, but we would instead recognize that we are known by our loving Savior, Jesus. And that is enough. It's not about who we know. It's about the fact that we are known by you. God, I pray that you would help us recognize that we are not what we own, but we are complete in Jesus, and that we would not fall into the trap of comparison or more, 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 more. God, I pray that you would help everyone who's listening who is a parent recognize that they are not who they raise, but that they would understand that they are God's masterpiece and their children are God's masterpiece. And God, I also pray that if there's any... um broken hearts because of children who have walked away from the Lord. God, I pray that you would restore and redeem and that you would draw those children to your loving arms, that you would surround those children who have walked away from you uh, with other followers of Christ, wherever they are, Lord, that you would shine your light upon them. And if there's any uh, reconciliation that's yet to have happened, between them or even between those who are listening and their parents. God, we just pray that you would make that take place and there would be restoration and reconciliation in your name. And lastly, God, um, I just pray that this lie that you are your past, uh, God, I pray that if there's anyone listening in who is succumbing to that and is filled with shame and guilt because of their mistakes, their past choices, or things that have been done to them. God, I pray that you would free them right now in Jesus Christ, in, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you said that we are free from all condemnation. So we just pray for that. Uh, we seal that, uh, we, we give that to you, and we ask uh, that you would just be lifted up high around the globe in every neighborhood of those who are listening and, and, and that our neighbors and that our neighborhoods and that our cities and our counties and our countries of everyone who is listening, uh, that there would be a day where every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you are Lord. We praise you.